0: One of the things that's a recurring theme in this story is that Goldman, and banks like Goldman,
1: they're expert at going after these big pools uh, of investor capital. The big scam here is that they they found ways
0: to take a whole bunch of crap, right, uh, slap it with a AAA rating and sell it to a bunch of big institutional investors.
1: Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg in New York.
0: And I'm Khanna Jafi-Walt. In Seattle, that was Matt Taibbi you heard at the top. He was talking about the subject of today's podcast, Goldman Sachs.
1: Yeah, and as you can hear, he's not particularly fond of Goldman Sachs. Uh, Matt Taibbi wrote wrote an article about uh, Goldman Sachs in a recent issue of Rolling Stone, um, basically accusing them of... uh, Pretty much everything bad that happened in the last century. <laughs> um, so, uh, and we'll hear more uh, from them and about them later on in the podcast. And also, we're going to announce the results of the Planet Money Iron Model Top Millionaire First Ever Public Radio Story <laughs> Competition, uh, a competition you were part of, right, Hannah?
0: That's true. Yes, I was.
1: Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But first, the Planet Money Indicator.
0: It is seven twenty-five. That is effective today. The new minimum wage.
1: $7.25, up from $6.55, where it's been all last year. So for the half of American workers getting a salary instead of hourly wages, this doesn't apply to you. And for the roughly 95% of hourly workers making more than $7.25 an hour, this also doesn't apply to you. But if you're among the, I don't know, 5 million people, numbers differ, making under $7.25, good news. Today, you just got a raise.
0: Congratulations. Yes. Okay. Okay. Struggling a little bit with this transition here. Okay, let's move from minimum wage to maximum wage. We're going to talk about Goldman Sachs now.
1: Right, Goldman Sachs, uh, where I I don't think anybody works for minimum wage. Far from it. Last week, they released their earnings statements for the second quarter of 2009. And the earnings were pretty uh, fantastic.
0: If you look at an earnings statement, it's a bunch of lines with numbers, how much they made, how much they spent... And then there's this one line, compensation and benefits, which is basically all the money that the firm is setting aside to pay its employees. for and, and this is for everything, salary,
1: benefits, and bonus. And if you look at Goldman's earnings statement, they had net revenues so far for the first six months of this year for $23 billion. And of that, they've set aside $11.5 almost half, which is pretty standard for Wall Street, to pay their employees. Now, there are less than 30000 People who work at Goldman Sachs. So $11 billion for 30000 that's almost 400 grand for every single employee of Goldman Sachs. That's the average payout. And the year is only half over. So presumably that $11 billion pot is just going to grow and grow for the rest of the year.
0: Man, they are on pace for a record year in compensation, beating 2006 when they paid about $16.5 billion billion with a B in compensation, and their CEO, Lloyd Blankfein, he took home $52 million. So, Alex, when I say these words, it's weird, because a year ago, we were all saying the words that Goldman Sachs and the rest of Wall Street, didn't they have to be saved from collapse? And now they're on pace for record salaries. Something seems a little weird about that.
1: Right. Um, Well, Hannah, I I talked to someone who has a lot of thoughts about whether or not this is weird.
2: My name is Lucas van Praag, and I am the spokesman for Goldman Sachs.
1: (laughs) He sure is. Yesterday, I went to Goldman Sachs, and I talked to Mr. van Praag about this very issue and lots of other issues that people like Matt Taibbi have been writing about. Issues which basically fall under the rubric, is Goldman Sachs Destroying the world for its own profit, basically. Um, and, uh, and first of all, I, I, I never thought I'd actually get this interview because I'd heard that Goldman was sort of famously media shy or even media antagonistic. But when I called them up to ask for an interview, they, they seemed eager to talk, actually.
0: Yeah, which was sort of surprising because there is a lot of legend and mystery surrounding Goldman. They have this reputation as like the the brainiest firm on Wall Street, that they hire the smartest people and they pay them the most money and they're doing the weirdest things. Um, and then, you know, you add to that that a lot of their former executives are these big names in politics. Henry Paulson, President Bush's former Treasury secretary, he was a CEO at Goldman Sachs. Robert Rubin, advisor to President Obama, and before that, President Clinton. He was a former chairman at Goldman. And Neil Kashkari, the guy who was put in charge of the $700 billion tar program, Goldman Sachs, the list goes on and on.
1: And then you add to that, Goldman employees gave almost a million dollars to President Obama's presidential campaign. Many former Goldmanites are positioned throughout his administration people sometimes jokingly refer to, I guess jokingly is maybe not the right word, people sometimes sardonically refer to Goldman Sachs as (laughs) government Sachs. And Uh. yes, and it's just, you know, it can start to seem like they're this shadow force of super smart Ivy League graduates dripping with money, secretly running the world, and no one knows whether for good or ill. (laughs) So when I went there, I sort of expected a kind of Hollywood version of an evil corporation, you know, with like waterfalls in the lobby and beautiful receptionists who also happen to be black belts in karate and possibly cyborgs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like a sliding doors that you can't get through without a retinal scan, that sort of thing.
0: And it wasn't like that.
1: No, it was not like that. It was the same bored middle-aged security guard in a rented uniform checking my ID and waving me through the elevator. And the building was actually kind of shabby. It was like sort of dull brown. There was nothing flashy about it. People in the elevator all look like they'd be more at home in a graduate biology laboratory than stocking the halls of Wall Street's most powerful firm. And then Lucas von Prague, their spokesman, he was much more open than I thought he'd be. I asked him about Goldman's recent earnings, um, and he was pretty straightforward about it.
2: It was the uh, most profitable quarter that we've had in terms of earnings since the firm went public in May of 1999.
1: And as you know, we are here to talk about... Uh, if, if the government can take credit for any of those, uh, any of that earnings?
2: I think the government can take uh, quite a lot of credit for having stabilized the economic situation. That's certainly true. Um, and so to the extent that we operate in economies that are directly affected by government intervention, the government can take the high level of, of – uh, of, um, the government had a high level of uh, involvement in the
1: stability of the markets.
0: It, it sounds like he didn't quite want to say there that the government could take credit for
1: Goldman, though. <laughs> right. I mean, he is a flack, obviously, for Goldman Sachs, and he was watching his words carefully, but not as carefully as I thought he would. And we ended up having a surprisingly wide-ranging discussion about sort of pay and how much people should be paid and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we'll we'll play that for you in a minute. But um, this conversation requires a little bit of setup.
0: Right. Okay. So the problem with these profits is that people say they're making money on the back of taxpayers. Wait a minute. We just gave these guys all this money and now they're reporting huge profits. Right. And what we generally mean when we're talking about that is mostly people are talking about TARP. So remember back in October last year, the government gave nine banks and financial firms billions of dollars. So Citigroup and Bank of America, for example, they each got 25 billion and then they got a lot more money later. And Goldman Sachs, it got 10, so 10 billion. And that money was considered by some a bit of a gift since it was given on much more favorable terms than the market was demanding. So like, for instance, a couple days before the government stepped in, Warren Buffett, he gave $5 billion to Goldman Sachs, but at 10% interest. And the government, it charged only 5% interest.
1: But Hannah, I wasn't that interested in the TARP payments, partly because this week Goldman basically finished paying back the TARP money and at a pretty good rate of return to the government. Basically, when all is said and done, Goldman ended up paying the government back at a 23% rate of return. Um, So with respect to TARP and Goldman Sachs, we, the taxpayers, actually made out pretty well. But there are three other ways that people say the government has been subsidizing Goldman Sachs.
0: Subsidy number one, AIG. And the story goes like this. When the government bailed out AIG, what they were really doing was bailing out Goldman Sachs. Of the 150 or so billion dollars that the government put into AIG, 13 billion of that went to Goldman Sachs. Therefore, the story goes, AIG owed Goldman Sachs a lot of money. And if AIG went under, then Goldman Sachs would have gone down too.
1: Lucas says that story is not true. He says not only would Goldman not have gone under, he disputes the whole idea that they were owed $13 billion. He says that that AIG owed them some money, but they had taken care of the risks and that if AIG had gone down, it would not have brought Goldman with it. You know, people dispute this claim. It's hard to see evidence either way. You know, nobody has like a smoking gun document that will prove Goldman's story versus other people's story.
0: But we have another questionable thing here, right? Right. Subsidy number two, the Fed. Last September, Goldman Sachs, they did this tricky thing. They became a bank holding company. So. This means that they were basically willingly saying, regulate us more, because the Fed regulates bank holding companies pretty strictly. So why would they do that? They wanted to get access to the Federal Reserve lending. So the crisis last fall basically had to do with lending, and banks like Goldman, they're constantly borrowing money if they, they need that money to do their businesses and survive. Last fall, it was really hard to borrow money. Private market basically froze them out. So they needed someone to lend them money. And the Federal Reserve, it lends money, but only if you're a bank holding company. So they became one. So did Morgan Stanley. They became bank holding companies.
1: Right. And to this, Lucas also says, well, yes and no. They did become a bank holding company. But mainly, he says, as a safety measure, as a precautionary measure, uh, in case they needed to borrow money and to show the market that they could access money if they needed to. He says that they did borrow a little bit of money from the Fed in the very beginning, but they paid that money back and they haven't borrowed any money from the Fed since. All the money they borrow now, they borrow from the market. Now... There's no way to really check this. The Fed doesn't release the names of institutions it lends to. So you can't really verify what Lucas said.
0: Uh, Okay, and this is where we start to bang our heads against the wall. All right, but he did actually admit that there was a third subsidy that helped Goldman Sachs out quite a bit, right? And that subsidy... It's very little known, but it's an incredibly important program. Um, It was also initiated in the wake of the crisis after Lehman's failure last September. So it was this program called the FDIC Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program. And basically, the program allowed Goldman and all the other financial firms out there to borrow money with a government guarantee.
1: And Goldman ended up borrowing $28 billion using the FDIC loan guarantee program. It it still has that money that it it borrowed. The, the, The program allowed Goldman to borrow this money at a very discounted interest rate. And it's possible without this guarantee, Goldman might not have been able to borrow money at all. I mean, that's how bad things were. So that would have been pretty devastating to their business, which leads us back to this question of compensation. Is it fair for Goldman Sachs to be making so much money when they might not be around at all if not for this FDIC program? And this is what I talked to Lucas von Prague about.
2: The reason that the temporary loan guarantee program was put in place was because there was no ability for banks to borrow in the short maturity markets at all. Uh, basically, the interbank market shut down. Banks didn't trust each other. This was following some several uh, several, uh um, very notable failures and increasing concern about uh, what banks actually had on their balance sheets. And banks began to refuse to lend to each other. So the government's action in stepping in and providing the temporary loan guarantee program was absolutely crucial to prevent the collapse of the entire financial system. And the
1: collapse of Goldman Sachs? We would have been collapse of
2: virtually every bank.
1: So, so if the government hadn't stepped in with that temporary loan guarantee program, you're saying y- your firm wouldn't have been able to survive?
2: I think that our firm might have been able to survive, but I don't think there's any certainty that any firm would have been able to survive.
1: I guess then the question becomes, why do the rest of us care whether or not your firm and other firms survive?
2: I think that not having a financial services sector would be very, very bad, for any economy, and particularly for the United, United States, uh, it would be completely horrendous
1: with, without Goldman Sachs and other firms like it.
2: Without a financial services system, you know. Right. If uh, and we're not just talking about Goldman Sachs; we're talking about all the banks that you could possibly name: mm-hmm. Citigroup, Bank of America, J.P.
1: Morgan, Wells Fargo. Well, I, I don't. I mean, I don't want to, uh, because this is the this is the essential question, sort of. It. It seems like, it, it seems like if, if what you want is to continue surviving as a firm, you can make the claim that we are systemically important. <laughs> and there's no doubt that we want a financial services system. I don't know if that means that we need every single firm to survive a, a big dust-up. Um, and so so when I'm asking about your firm or other firms specifically, I guess that's what I'm getting at. What? How do you know that... How do you know that you are systemically important? How do you know that you also needed to be saved? Other firms didn't get saved. It doesn't seem like we're going to save CIT, for example. We didn't save Lehman, certain things. So so did you know before this crisis that you were systemically important?
2: I don't think that we had necessarily thought about ourselves as being systemically important or not. But the events of the crisis were quite cataclysmic. Um, for the banking sector uh, as a whole, as we've seen. Um, But I would put it in in this context. the firm has been around for 140 years. It um, is uh, a a company with nearly a trillion dollars in assets and um, pretty much the same amount of uh, other people's money under management. So it's a big, big financial services company. Uh, We play a critical role in the capital markets. Uh, and we are now one of the few big players in the capital markets left standing. We've also been profitable every quarter since we went public in May of 1999, except for the fourth quarter of last year. And even for the whole of last year, 2008, we were profitable. So in terms of the the prudential management of the organization, I think that most observers would say that they believe that we were a prudently managed firm and that we run our business very conservatively.
1: And so I guess what I'm saying, though, is that um, if, if you are systemically important, and if what that means is periodically, say, if things get out of control, we need to rescue you which is basically what that means right if you're systemically important what that means is that occasionally the taxpayers are going to have to step on the line the government's going to have to step on the line if things get out of control and rescue you right is that it seems to me that's what that means
2: i i think that that's certainly one interpretation that can be put on it i think that the that the uh more um constructive approach is to recognize that systemically important banks need to be run in ways that uh, preclude the possibility of them getting into trouble. Now, you know, at one level, you can say, well, they should be utilities. Let's make them utilities. Let's make sure they take almost no risk and they borrow and lend in a very, very, very conservative way, and they don't use instruments that have inherent risk associated with them. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is that you will dramatically negatively affect economic growth, Mm -hmm. and it will be a quite different world in which we live. The converse is you allow people to do almost anything they want, which is clearly even worse. So I think that it's beholden uh, on banks and their boards of directors and their management to manage them <coughs> themselves um, appropriately, to have real competence in risk management, to understand the risks that they're taking, to understand the instruments that they're using and the vehicles that they employ to, to take those risks. But I also think that it's incumbent upon society as a whole to ensure that the regulatory system is structured and staffed in a way that ensures that people who run banks are held to account.
1: Um, Now, let me just get to a broader issue here, which is, um, if you're looking back over the history of Goldman Sachs earnings, um, 2006, 2007, spectacular earnings, huge compensation, average compensation in those years is according to one chart I read, which you might dispute, but something, almost half a million dollars per person in the firm in terms of compensation set aside. That includes bonuses, I guess, benefits and and salary, Um, which is just, you know, enormous amounts of money to the average, average person. A lot of that money was generated from trading activities, from, you know, in this fixed income arena, where a lot of these housing derivative products were, were were created. So a lot of that money came from producing and trading and selling and buying the things that l- led to the crisis. The crisis happens, everybody's going to go under, we all get rescued. And then a year later, you're back on pace for the same type of earnings. And it, I don't know what to say about it. I don't want, obviously, the Second Great Depression. I don't want, um, I want to go to my ATM, and I want my money to be there. I don't wish anybody particularly ill. I don't want people not to be, make money if they, if they earn it. Something about it seems unfair.
2: Well, I think that, the, um, that compensation is always a major hot, um, uh, hot topic. And understandably, and particularly in an environment where people are losing their jobs, have lost their jobs, losing their homes, have lost their homes, um, and notwithstanding the fact that the, statistic, the statistics suggest that the rate at which people are losing their jobs and losing their homes is slowing, it's still happening and it's miserable and, uh, and entirely understandable that people would be angered by what they consider to be, as you described, uh, a situation where – People who were responsible or were thought to be responsible for assisting in the crea- creation of the crisis uh, are seen to be apparently benefiting disproportionately. Mm. So, you know, I think that uh, that uh, you make a, a very good point. Now, you know, we work in an industry in financial services that is highly competitive, um, which hopefully has learnt a number of lessons. Um, and uh I think is reflective of um of views being expressed by legislators and regulators um and so the okay. well, yeah. I mean
1: it seems to me though that the lesson would be you know a lot of the earnings from the last couple of years before the crisis were we now know due to taking on larger risks than people were aware of. That, you know, there was, there was larger risks there and, that, and that, that those risks weren't reflected in the earnings at the time. Well, and then... I, yeah, yeah,
2: I, yeah. I, I, I actually don't agree with that. Okay. I, I think that at some firms, that is probably entirely true. Mm-hmm. At this firm, you know, we tend to be extraordinarily rigorous about risk management. You know, we don't want to pay people f- based on earnings that are completely illusory. That's right. nuts. It's that you know that way lies disaster. And in fact, if you look at the firms that have failed, that way did lie disaster.
1: Right. But 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 I guess what I'm saying is that you might very well have failed yourselves if if there hadn't been sort of an unprecedented government intervention. And is there any part of that that I guess the the other argument that I find a little tiresome is that like this was a totally. Exogenous shock that happened to the system that we, the players in the system, had nothing to do with.
2: Yeah, you you will not get that argument from me. (laughs) Okay, I mean that's
1: certainly not the view of this firm. Right. You know, and we have. But did your firm have anything to do with the crisis then, or was it all the other firms that did it? I guess that's what I'm saying.
2: I don't think that you can single out one firm. Uh, as having been the prime mover in the crisis or one firm that wasn't involved in the crisis. You know, I think that it was a collective failure, and I think that our industry collectively failed. Mm -hmm. They failed to protect shareholders, failed to execute the kind of proper stewardship that people have a right to expect. Right.
1: But now it seems like it seems to an outside observer that, at least in the case of Goldman Sachs and the current earnings, that failure is being rewarded. In that you're on pace for record earnings, and that without without rescue by the government, you wouldn't be in a position to to be in, to be there. What do you say to that?
2: Would it be better if we'd actually?
1: Well, leave aside it? whether it would be better or not. I mean, I mean, may I don't know. That's the question. That I guess that's a, that's that's a dodge. It's hard to know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean. Obviously, you think it wouldn't be better. Maybe it wouldn't be better. Let, There's let me, no way to well, know. Let
2: me, let me answer your yeah. question. Okay. Do I think that in the, in the crisis that, uh, that um, looked like it was threatening to engulf the industry in uh, September, October, that we would have gone bust? No, I don't. We had extraordinarily high levels of liquidity. We had a very, very long-term borrowing book. Um, we knew what the value of our assets were. We knew that if we had to, we could sell them and that we wouldn't be taking huge write-downs because we'd already marked them to market. So I don't believe that it would have spelt the demise of Goldman Sachs.
1: So then what are we to make of the fact that you got assistance then? Why did the government help you out then?
2: You know, the government uh, help out, as you put it, um, was uh, was uh, really in two forms. First, the uh, the Treasury determined that nine banks would receive capital from the Treasury in the form of the uh, the TARP money. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no choice associated with that. Right. We were simply told this is going to happen. These are the terms. And you have repaid that
1: money at very favourable terms to the Treasury. Everybody, if we we should
2: note. We've re- repaid the money. In fact, we repaid the we, we uh, redeemed the warrants yesterday at a twenty three percent return for the taxpayer. So, which we think is entirely appropriate, by the way. Um, but you know, would we complain about having received that money? No, it would be quite wrong and churlish and ridiculous to complain about getting that money. Did we need it? No. In fact. Two weeks before we got it, we'd raised nearly eleven billion dollars in the private markets, including including five billion from Warren Buffett. So we didn't need more capital, but in the environment in which it was given to us, you know, people certainly felt safer and sounder as a result of banks being shored up. So uh,
1: <laughs> it's quite a quite a dance, huh,
0: Alex? When you came back from mm-hmm. this interview, I kept asking you, you know, so does he say that? We kept them alive. That is our money and these government programs that's kept them alive, and means that has led to all these big profits. And I don't. I, I mean, I guess he's saying no.
1: He's he sort of goes back and forth a little bit. In the beginning, he sort of he sort of says we we might have survived, we might not have, and then in the end he sort of comes around to saying like, no, no, I am going to tell you we would have survived. It felt good simply to pose these questions to somebody. And at least have them respond. Um, you know, his responses were dodgy, as, as, you, as you might expect. But also, I, I do have to give him credit. He seemed actually eager to talk about this in a way that other players have, have not been. And when I left he had he had another meeting he had to go to but he said you know come back anytime i i felt like we were just getting into it i want to keep on talking about this stuff with you he was very happy to have a microphone in front of his face he was very happy to have it edited he said nothing is off the off the table when i talked to him so the conditions under which we did this interview were very very different and and i feel like they're listening back there's a whole bunch of things that i felt like i wanted to ask him and i'm sure our listeners have a lot of questions that they would like me to pose to mr <laughs> that, von Prag
0: that, that sounds like a listener question right there <laughs>
1: so so I, I I would definitely want to take him up on his offer to come back and and talk to him more and um and I feel like if if there are people out there who who have specifics that that they want me to um lob in his direction i, I would be i'd be happy to do it
0: I feel like the the interesting thing there is that i 'm always curious how these firms think about themselves now if they you're asking do, are you systemically important you mm-hmm. know and and if they all think they're systemically important and they know that that means that they'll be guaranteed to rescue what does that mean for all of us so it's it's interesting to hear someone in that position just how they perceive themselves
1: now right right and 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 I, and I, it is interesting to when i said did, did you know that 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 was a very uh, that was a legitimate question I, did, I i don't know if they did know you know or maybe they did i don't know um.
0: Okay. Well, if you all have questions, you can post them, npr.org slash money. You can send us an email, planetmoney at npr.org. I am ready to know the results already of this Planet Money Dancing with the Stars Iron Chef competition
1: well and uh lucky for you our very own uh, caitlin Kenny is in the studio with us with with those very results right caitlin
3: hey guys hey hi caitlin so i think we do need a new name for this
0: competition (laughs) i think
3: definitely (laughs) one of our listeners actually had a few suggestions on the blog and uh they were pretty good planet money idol
0: Mm -hmm.
3: iron podcaster (laughs) npr's got talent (laughs) and my personal favorite So you think you can report economics. (laughs) Oh, I like that one. That one's good, right? (laughs) That's That's the one, yeah. Maybe for our next competition. Okay, so we have the results. Mm -hmm. I have to say uh, we've been monitoring this. We've been keeping an eye on it. I was really surprised by the winner. Not to say that this person in question didn't deserve to win. I'm just saying it really seemed like it wasn't going to go this way. It was a come from behind. I worked
0: worked really hard. I I don't know why you'd be surprised Uh about this. (laughs)
3: Hannah, I have some sad news. Oh, no. You are not the winner
0: of the challenge. (laughs) Tears are streaming down my face.
3: I know. It's true. But we do have the official tally. 4,098 people voted. So first of all, we just got to say thanks for everyone for taking part. That's awesome. It's really great. But today's winner is Adam Davidson with 1,589 votes, capturing 39% of the total
1: vote. Wow. Wow. Now, see, this is so weird because he was, like, trailing all week long, right? Yeah. So what happened?
3: I don't know. I'm really – it seems like there was a late-night, last-minute surge. I I don't know. What's Hmm. the
1: group that monitors uh, international elections?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Should we give them a call? I know. Actually, Um, speaking of calls, though, I think we should – you know, check in with Adam and, and see what he thinks
0: of the news. Uh, he's not in today, so...
1: Oh, that's right. He's out uh, on a little vacation today, yeah. a vacation day. So let's, uh, you want to call him and... and uh...
0: Voting on various computers all across New York <laughs> exactly. City. Exactly.
1: He was <laughs>
3: mysteriously <laughs> unavailable today. <laughs> Just saying.
1: Um, yeah, you want to call him and see... Yeah, you, uh, let's call right.
3: him up. All right, we got his number right here.
0: Okay. He's going to be so happy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, and we've got Adam on the line. Adam? Hello. Hey. Hey. So uh so so Adam, we're we're here on the on the podcast right now. We're calling you on your uh cell phone <laughs> on your day off, um, to tell you some some news, Caitlin?
3: You're the winner. What? <laughs> it's true. I know I was losing. I know. Miraculously you now have one thousand five hundred and eighty nine votes. Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> wow, that's so funny. I
1: just re listened to the whole podcast this morning and uh my wife and i and we came up with all these different reasons why i lost <laughs> 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 to make me feel better that's awesome oh well congratulations thank you congratulations
0: adam so good game just...
1: now now i have to i have to say there was there was a little bit of mystery because uh you were um you were you were trailing up until very recently and then all of a sudden you had a late surge it, that happened to correspond exactly with the days you took off <laughs> <laughs> That is mysterious, but <laughs> we did go to all things considered on Wednesday and then I took off Thursday and Friday. So I'm gonna need to see receipts and alibis <laughs> before I can certify these results. No, I can assure you I did not <laughs> You weren't tapping on your computer. You no, were voting I'm, over I, and over again. And Laura told me that well we do know for a fact that Hanna's sister voted multiple times. <laughs> she I don't did. think she, she voted me. For me multiple times. But
0: she said a bazillion times, a bazillion actually, times. in fact.
1: But Caitlin or Laura, someone assured us.
0: <laughs> yes.
3: We we had some protective measures in place to keep people from uh, hey, tricking the won. system. I'm, I'm
1: looking at it right now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam. Thanks. Uh, All right, we'll thanks, say goodbye guys. to you. And uh, and uh, I think we will say goodbye to the rest of you out there. Uh, Caitlin, thanks for joining us.
3: No problem.
1: Um, all of you out there, send your thoughts, comments, pictures, ideas, questions uh, for Mr. Lucas von Prague to us here. Uh, you can send it to our Twitter feed, email, Facebook, all those things that I don't understand. <laughs> we are everywhere. I- I'm told they're out there. I'm Alex Bloomberg.
0: And I'm Khanna Jafiwal. Thanks for listening. And I do.